So this is an episode that I have been looking forward to for quite some time. There are just some people that you meet in life and you know that they have done amazing things and they will continue to do amazing things. And Michael Krupka is definitely one of those people. He is an excellent leader and I don't want to say too much because I know he has a lot of wisdom to share in this episode. I also want to thank you for continuing to listen despite the audio quality. I think in this episode there might be an issue with echoing. Some of my mm-hmms and ahas show up twice. And there's like a four second cutout at one point. But point being, Michael's information and content is far superior to the quality of this recording. Welcome to another episode of Christlike Conversation. I'm Kaylee Underwood, and today I'm so excited to be interviewing Michael Krupka. Not only is he the president of a student association at a university, but he is also just an inspirational leader in daily life. I got to know Michael when we went to Peru together for a mission trip, and he was a leader in that event as well. So, Michael, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Kaylee. I'm honored that you would ask me. (laughs) Um, I guess I'd like to start by just asking you, who are some leaders that you look up to and um, how have they modeled leadership for you? Hmm. That, that's a great question. And I, I think we are definitely the products of the people that we look up to. Um, first and foremost, um, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd call him necessarily a leader. He's definitely the head of our family and uh, my grandfather, Billy Frank Hefley is just such a huge role model. I've never, of course, been around him in like a, you know, leader of a board or anything like that type of situation. But on float trips and family get togethers and everything, he's just always been a calm and religious, not religious, but um, spiritually edifying force in our family. And I'll never forget a time whenever he went floating. We went on a float trip, just my cousin and, and I and my grandpa. And we were in fifth grade and something ended up happening. And we hit a tree with our canoe and it capsized. Wow. And it was just a scary situation. But our grandpa kept his calm. And there he was in his 70s. And he helped us get onto the shore. And we had to run down our canoe that had floated downstream. And, and I think that just right then I realized, wow, this guy has everything put together, it seems like. And I'm sure that on the inside, he wasn't feeling that way. But, but that sense of calm and reassurance was just such a, a huge impact on me. Mm. And we just felt so safe with him. And we've always felt so safe with our grandpa. And he's just always been a person that you can ask for any sort of advice. And, and he's just full of wisdom. Um, other leaders I, that have really impacted me, I probably shouldn't go into full stories on each of them, but George Washington, I think whenever I'm just talking about, you know, figureheads in society and in history that mm-hmm. have definitely impressed me with what leadership means, he's definitely a huge example of that. Um, he had every opportunity to take advantage of the situation and to make it for his personal gain. Right. And he refused to. Mm-hmm. He continually sought the this outcome that was going to be best for his entire group. And that was 
absolutely huge, especially whenever he lived with a precedent of people taking the advantage for themselves. And Hmm. I mean, we have to remember that he lived in an era whenever monarchy was the typical thing. And, you know, whenever Mm -hmm. one revolution ended, it usually led from a monarchy into another monarchy. And he changed that because he didn't think that was the right thing to do. Um, I, I think that is such a special example. And I think that that emulates Jesus's form of leadership in that he makes himself less instead of making himself more. And, and of course, afterwards we remember him as more rather than as less, but during the time he had to make the decision to Mm. be humble and to step down. Um, some other leaders who have really, really impressed me over the last couple of years would be my, my cousin, Silas Heffley. Um, yeah. Just. Kaylee, did you go to Greece? I did. I got to meet you did. Silas. He's, yeah. So you, you know, Silas. Really impressive leader. Exactly. Just mm-hmm. always thoughtful, always calm. Also, he's a student of our grandpa, Billy Frank Heffley. So, ah. um, <laughs> of course, he's got all of those same same characteristics and just just an awesome person to be around and to be following um some others that have really impressed me in these last couple years with regard to the student association and being at our university are dr dr bruce mcclarty who Mm -hmm. is our university president and he and I have gotten to just develop a really close friendship over the last couple of years. And Good. during this time, I've gotten to see into his mind and kind of how he makes his decisions and how stressful they can be for him. Right. And yet the, the grace and the resolution that he holds those decisions with. And I think that is, that is such a special trait to have in a person. And, mm-hmm. um, I've just been really grateful for that. And last, I'll say Hallie Height, who was our former student association president. Yes. For me. <laughs> Just hilarious person, really intelligent, really fun to be around. And she's always impressed me a whole lot just with her drive, her organization, and, and her way of seeing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hallie always impressed me too. Um, she took the time to talk to me even when I was just a young freshman who was so confused about what was ha- happening at Harding. And that always made me feel super special. Mm-hmm. Um, could you tell me a little bit more about what you mean um, when you talked about Jesus's selflessness and um, like becoming less um, so that like ultimately um, more is, is done. Um, could you explain a little bit more about that? Well, the example that I think of first is whenever Jesus says that, or Jesus didn't say it, John said it, that Jesus had all authority. And because Jesus knew that he had all authority given to him, he then got up and put a towel around his waist and filled a basin with water and washed his disciples' feet. Mm -hmm. And I find that such an interesting sentence because... (laughs) Usually you would think of, instead of because, you would think even though, and something like, even though Jesus knew he had all authority, all dominion over everything, he decided to wash those guys' feet like a servant. But Mm -hmm. instead it was because he had all authority. And so it's as if he had a confidence level that 
he knew his value wasn't based on whether or not he was the head of the group or, or the servant of the group um, because he already had that level of confidence and that level of sureness in his own authority. He was then able to serve and um, not only able, but more than willing to serve. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that is such a neat thing. Um, and it shows us that whenever we are put into a leadership position or anybody gives us any kind of authority, obviously I, I can never say that I have all authority like that's definitely clear, but whenever someone grants you authority and you get elected by the student body or something like that, because you have that authority, you are now supposed to be extra willing to serve. And, um, extra willing to humble yourself and that kind of like George Washington he was put in a situation where there was actually after the revolution there was a huge issue with paying the soldiers because I mean America was a brand new country we were just figuring out our monetary system Mm -hmm. we had all sorts of debt that we had to take on in order to defeat the British and gain our independence and there was a moment where members of the army actually wanted to overthrow the continental Congress and instate George Washington as King. And so they let him know about this plan. This is a moment where he has all authority. Right. And if he wants to be King, it's just his for the taking. And he tells those guys, you should be ashamed of yourselves. We're never going to do this. And that is not the way that we are supposed to be going. And so that group of guys were so ashamed that they turned 180 degrees and dedicated themselves to the democratic values of this country. And, and that's how things were built because George Washington knew he had all authority to take that advantage. He chose not to. And later on, Jesus will say, um, I'm going to lay down my life of my own accord. No one's going to be taking it from me. Nobody has the authority to take it from me, but it's, it's my decision to give it up on my own. And I think that we oftentimes, especially as Americans with our cultural heritage, want to have the independence and the ability to say, it's my, my authority to keep this, or it's my authority to have this. Mm. And I think that we also need to be looking at, and probably even more than what we have authority to keep, what we have the authority to give away. Hmm. And um, yeah, that, that's what I would say. Wow. I appreciate that insight there because I've never thought about the grammar. Um, and I think maybe like in my brain, I always asserted the even though in that sentence instead of because, but that's interesting the way you put that, that it's, when you are given that opportunity, you are, there's an expectation to become a servant leader. Mm-hmm. That's, that's interesting. Um, in addition to servant leadership, what are some other qualities that um, you've seen have made good leaders? Ooh. Oh man. I'm sure that you could, there are probably a bunch of books out there with all sorts <laughs> yeah. of examples but the first things that come to my mind is that a leader realizes people are watching him or her. Hmm. And, and so therefore the leader decides that their actions 
no longer reflect only themselves or no longer are only significant to themselves. So, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that a leader needs to always be putting on a show or anything like that, but they need to realize that, you know, if I make this decision privately and it compromises my integrity or something like that and, and people find out about it, that sets the example of what, of what is okay Mm. and what I'm all right with doing. Um, And likewise, leaders, well, I'm going to, I'm going to switch from likewise to an even though, (laughs) even though leaders need to realize that they're always being watched. They need to have some grace for themselves and definitely grace for others. Mm. And, and realize that they can't take themselves too seriously because that's one of the big problems I ran into personally. I think I'll talk about that later on is um, it's very easy to feel like, Oh, all eyes are on me. I need to do this perfectly. I need to be polished all the time. And truthfully, that's just not possible. We're all people. We're all going to do something awkward on stage or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and leaders can laugh at themselves because Leaders are going to be getting criticized all the time. Leaders need to be able to take that criticism and and turn it into something positive or or at least weather it. Um, And also they need to realize that there's some humor to it because if you can't turn it into a joke in some sort of way, then you're just going to end up with really hurt feelings. Right. And, and I think that those are two important things for leaders is to realize you have to set the example but still don't don't take yourself so seriously that you can't laugh at yourself. Mhm. Yeah. Um there's always somebody who's looking up to us even if we're not like a very uh prominent leader or have a the label of leader, there's always younger people looking up to us or uh family members looking up, and even people who are older than us might be looking up to us. Exactly. Uh, and I've got one quote that um, just one of my very favorite professors has said to me before. And I, I love this quote. It's actually um, a philosophical imperative. It's called the universal imperative. And, Oh, I can't remember what his first name is, but the philosopher Kant, Immanuel, Immanuel Kant Mm -hmm. said that we should all live in such a way that we would wish it be made mandatory that everyone lives likewise. And that's, that's a mouthful for a philosophical rule of how you should live. And Dr. Cochran sums it up with live how you want others to live. And so it's kind of like the golden rule, but it's more so it's related to everything rather than just the way you treat others. And so if I walk past this piece of litter and I see it on the ground and I say, I'm going to leave it there, I need to believe that I can hold no one else responsible for picking up that litter because I did not pick it up myself. So I live in the way that everyone else ought to live. Whereas if I want people to pick up litter, then I must pick up litter. And Mm -hmm. same thing where if I don't use turning signals, then I need to believe no one else should use turning signals. But if I want the person in front of me to let me know they're about to make a sudden left turn, then I need to also do the same thing. Right. Right. Interesting. That's yeah. applying that that in a broader sense. Um, that makes even the littlest life details 
very important. Exactly. Hmm. And um, I mean, obviously, you're not going to do it perfectly. You're not going to live exactly how you want everybody else to live. But I think that's a great, a great piece of advice, especially for anybody trying to set the example. Right. And, and that goes back to what you were saying about giving yourself grace, because mm-hmm. um, we're not going to be perfect. And I think a lot of uh, a lot of leaders might fall into the trap of um, wanting to do everything uh, performance wise up to a certain level. And then and then when they fail, they just have let themselves mm-hmm. down. Um, and that's that's where grace comes in. Exactly. Yeah, said. Exactly right. Um. Uh, kind of on that I guess uh, what are some of the lessons you've learned from this past year from uh, you mentioned having to give yourself grace for mm-hmm. certain things um, what other lessons are there oh man I would say learn to be always learning is is the first first example or not example but first thing that I learned and and I'd recommend that to anybody. You know, you always hear the phrase, you learn something new every day. Well, you can decide that you're not going to learn anything new ever. And no one's ever going to change your opinions based on anything. And of course, the opposite of this that would also be too far in the other direction would be just be constantly changing and evolving based on whatever you're taking in. Of course, we don't want to do that. But mm-hmm. but always be ready to find lessons from the people that are around you and from what you read what you take in and just try and be a lifelong student and critical thinker i think that's that's an important characteristic for anybody who's wanting to be setting an example um going forward other things that i've learned is that leadership is a serious job it it means that other the situations of other people depend on your decisions and the way that you act and the way that you treat them. And so it's definitely something that needs to be taken seriously. It's not something for you to just take as a joke or as just a resume booster or anything like that. If people put you into this position, you owe them something. And, um, right. and yet, like I said earlier, you've got to have grace and you've got to realize that everybody's going to fail. Everyone's going to, have human problems like fatigue and you're not going to be able to work 24 seven. Um, that's the next thing that I said I learned is don't judge your performance based <laughs> off of your lack of sleep. That is a very ineffective <laughs> measure of how well you're doing as a leader or how, how effective you're being this year, just because you're busier than ever before doesn't mean that you're doing good things. I mean, you know, you could be doing one homework assignment and then, watching snapchat stories for five minutes in between every question and you know that would mean you get very little sleep probably but also you're not getting that much done so don't don't try and base your measurements of how effective you are on things that make you look effective like being exhausted um rest is incredibly important and and taking time to do to do things with your friends and with the people that you love and to be alone are all incredibly important. Um, staying organized is also a fantastic thing that I learned over this last year. I got more organized in this last year than I've ever been in my life. And 
it all started out with student association things from getting Google Calendar on my phone and getting incredibly serious about it to where I, mm-hmm. I scheduled just about everything. And I was looking all the time for where I needed to be and making sure I wasn't missing appointments or things like that. And, and that was a huge help. And then that actually flowed into my academic organization and making sure that I wasn't missing assignments and things like that. And, um, right. And so you're always going to hear professors whenever you get to school saying, get a personal planner and all of those types of things. And, you know, I had always been one of those ambitious people who would get a planner and would fill it out really well for the first couple of weeks. And then by the end of the semester, you're looking at your planner once, once a month or whatever, and right. getting a lot more lackadaisical <laughs> right. as time goes on. But, um, <laughs> but I've been really grateful for the organizational skills that I've learned over this last year as essay president. And, and most of that has been through other people that I've been hanging out with. And for instance, Olivia Womack is one of my good friends and she's a fellow political science and Spanish double major with me. And she is organized. She wrote the book on organization. It's incredible. And, (laughs) and so I took tips from her and I don't know if she ever noticed, but anything that she would do planning wise, I would try and do. And, and so find people who are more organized than you and then, try and incorporate some of the things that they do. I think that's really effective. But yeah, staying organized helps you be effective, but also getting rest helps you be just as effective. Um, If you work, 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 and you never sharpen the saw, uh, that's what Stephen R. Covey says in his Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, is that you've got to continually sharpen your tools. And if you're just mm-hmm. grinding yourself down to the bone, you're not going to be effective and you're not going to help other people. So right. those are some of the things right. that I've learned. Um, I'm trying to think some of my answers kind of flow into other questions. And so I don't, I don't want to go too right. far. No, you're good. Um, you mentioned something there too. I, I've been thinking about, um, and I'd heard you speak about in the past, how, when when people want to um talk to leaders it's hard to um to like seem approachable mm-hmm. in some ways or um there's like this balance between people being desperate enough to reach out to you and also being accessible mm-hmm. to people um and then you you mentioned you like you are a really friendly oh, person you. um but not uh, you're welcome but there's also a balance there of, of not overwhelming yourself with um, uh, just going too far. And like you said, uh, stressing yourself out over doing too many things and, and finding rest. Um, just, I guess, how, how are you able to, to stay approachable, but also not overwhelm yourself? You, you mentioned organization, but um Truthfully, I struggled with this during this last year. And, and it was one of those things that I was working on all of the time to try and be better at. Maybe not all the time. Sometimes I just, Mm -hmm. I just let it overwhelm me probably. And, um, and it would be one of those things where my fiance would be like, Hey, what are you doing tonight? And I'd be like, Oh, I've got all of these things to do. Can you fit in there somewhere for 20 minutes? And you know, if you do that every day, that gets pretty irritating to the other person. 
And, um, right. And so I would, I'd have to make sure that I was keeping my priorities in check. And that would, that would have to be manually evaluated almost every week just to be like, okay, Michael, you've sure you can be the guy that is in his office seven or eight hours a week. So that way, if anybody comes in, they can come in and they can talk with you and you want to check your email multiple times a day. So that way, if anybody has a question or a concern, you can set up an appointment or something like that. And you want to make sure that you have your phone with you all the time. So that way, if somebody calls, you can be accessible. But at times you've got to be ready to just put those things away and go and do the, the other stuff that is also fulfilling, like being with your loved ones Mm -hmm. and with your friends or being alone. And every once in a while, you've got to just goof off. I mean, some of my favorite things that I got to do during this school year was just going over to my buddy's house off campus and spending a few hours with them, not concerned about my other responsibilities and just talking and having good conversation, like what we got to do in the dorm freshman and sophomore year before college got hard. And, um, and that's, that's such a special thing. This <laughs> towards the end of the semester, we uh, we discovered that these guys had way too much unused popcorn, and they were having a little bonfire <laughs> in their backyard. And we just found a cast iron skillet and filled it with all of these bags of popcorn. And popcorn oh, rained man. down on that back patio, <laughs> and it was amazing. It, it was one of the funniest things I've ever witnessed, just watching popcorn fly everywhere out of this skillet over a fire. <laughs> and, and, you know, you pick it up off the ground, you dust it off a little bit, and it doesn't taste too bad. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, my but goodness. I don't know if that answered your that, question. Uh, you just have to, you have to try and find the balance. And that's, that's what I would recommend. And I think that balance is going to be different for everybody. Right. Yeah. That also kind of relates to um, just intentionally finding mm-hmm. Sabbaths to, to rest, um, which I'm sure has got to be hard um, when you're bombarded by a lot of messages like that from many people. Yeah. And, and that definitely, it can be a difficulty. And I think that that's been something really effective. I don't know if I'd want to say effective, but something that's made a big difference with COVID-19 and everybody having to be home, mm-hmm. this has just changed the pace of life so significantly for so many people. And right. I mean, I, I've had our preacher at our church actually talk to us about maybe this is, maybe God is using this to help us remember, hey, you guys are going so fast and you're chasing all of these priorities that you have. And you're not taking as much time as you need to be taking to be with me. And I mean, we've, Mm -hmm. we know the story of just how often Jesus would go off to be by himself on the other side of the lake or go and just hang out in a place where no one else was. So that way he could be alone with God. And, And he did it so often. It was like, that was something that he needed to be doing. And it's fascinating to mm-hmm. think about our creator and our savior needing to do something. And, you know, because he's got all authority. We've already covered that. How, how could he have any sort of need? And, and yet, if he didn't stick to his regimented 
plan of going back and being alone with God, something might have been really different. Maybe he would have been a way less effective savior. Who knows? But I think we're very fortunate and very blessed that he didn't change that and that he continued to do that. And likewise, we should follow his example. Right. Right. That's, that's very insightful. Um, I guess in light of COVID-19, you've had to um, bear a lot of burdens um, for a lot of people and, and help the student body transition. Um, how have you been able to, uh, to keep calm um, and help students through challenges? Man, well, I don't know. I've heard three really interesting um, just statements about keeping calm. And, and I think that they're all really interesting. The first one, well, I don't know if they were all statements, but this last fall, I was actually at Relay for Life and there was a family there with a little bitty toddler and this toddler sat on this spinning chair and was spinning faster and faster. And next thing you know, the <laughs> momentum just sent him flying from the chair and he landed on the ground and tumbled around a little bit. And I mean, it's a bunch of college kids and then these parents and everybody kind of freezes for a second and gasps and the kid looks around and the parents turned to all of us and said, don't do anything. Don't, don't act scared. Don't gasp. Don't do anything because he's looking to your reactions to know how bad the damage is. And if Mm -hmm. the parent panics, if the parent goes, oh my goodness, then the kid's more likely to start screaming and crying and thinking that they're dying. Whereas if the parent just says, hey, you're all right, you're okay, I've got you, you're totally fine, and the parent maintains that calm presence, then the child is more likely to feel reassured and safe. And that makes me think about what I said earlier about my grandfather and my cousin and I going canoeing with him, our boat capsizing, and it really could have been a perilous situation. And I mean, people drown in rivers on float trips like that, and... Right. And I don't know how much his calm presence affected the outcome of that day, but I'm sure that it played a, it made a major difference for how Harrison and I reacted and how we got safely to the mm-hmm. shore in order to continue on with our journey. Um, and then one other thing that I've heard, I was actually getting to Zoom with my roommate's class because, I mean, you know, it's online school and I didn't have a class at the moment and he was zooming with his class and they were actually having a former <laughs> policymaker who had worked in George Bush's white house um, talk wow. to the class about just what his experience was like and all of that. And he talked about how one of the most major things that sets apart a leader is being calm and not calm circumstances. And so they found out, huh. I'm trying to remember what it was a couple of years ago, And he also worked under Trump's White House. They found out a bunch of hospitals had gotten their information hacked all at once. And I mean, all of these healthcare policy workers are panicking and freaking out. And then they all look to the head policy guy who was this guy. And what he had to do, his heart was probably pounding on the inside, but just lay out a plan and come up with a calm thing. That way, everybody looking to that person knows that they can also be calm. Mm -hmm. And What my takeaways from that are personally with how I react is that oftentimes I can think that the opposite of panicking is having all the answers. Being calm means, 
oh, hey, don't freak out. We're going to do this. And truthfully, that's not the answer. That's not that's not a, a direct opposite. The opposite of being calm is being or the opposite of panicking is being resolute in your decision not to panic. It doesn't necessarily mean that you know what to do yet, other than the fact that you know not to panic. Right. And so I would freak out thinking, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. And of course I didn't. I mean, with COVID-19 and quarantine and online school and everything like that, why would I be the person with the answers? Obviously, I'm not. Right. Um, yet, if we were to go out and the student association were to post on our Instagram and everything, this just in, Michael Krepka has no idea what to do and and is just despairing right. right now, then that would send a bad message to the rest <laughs> of the student body. And and so mm-hmm. just what we have to do is we've got to remember that other people are looking to us and and know that it's okay to not have the answer yet. But remember that panicking will not get us any closer to that answer. So mm-hmm. keeping calm doesn't necessarily mean hey, we've got the solution figured out. It just means we are going to work in a, in a peaceful and more steady-handed manner towards finding the solution. And, and that's what most of this last several weeks has been. Has, it's been, okay, well, a lot of our priorities have been changed because obviously we can't really change recycling in legacy if there's no students living in the legacy apartments to recycle we're not going to be able to put printers in the dorm lobbies if there's no students to use them all of the other plans we've been working on kind of become unimportant at the moment and so we just have to come together as the essay council and say okay what are the new things that the student body needs we need to know how to use zoom and we need to know how to do things like that and when we can move out of our dorms and stuff and we need to be able to elect the next essay and make sure that that still goes well. So Mm -hmm. we just had to sit down, take a breather. You know, it's kind of disappointing that you had been working on these projects for several months and then now they had to be put on the back burner. But whenever the circumstances change, you can calmly go on to the next one. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And um, I'm sure that a lot of delegating goes into that and making plans with other people involves a lot of stewardships. You know, each person has different talents. And so, like you mentioned, you didn't have all the answers when this started, but you did have a group of people you were working with that could come together and and help each other Mm -hmm. find answers. Um, how much teamwork, I guess, is involved in what you do? Kaylee, I cannot stress enough how important teamwork is. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure maybe George Washington did a lot of what he did just because he was so cool. But I bet you that he <laughs> had people that he relied on, people that he trusted deeply, and people that helped him. And mm-hmm. likewise, I'm sure. I mean, Jesus had his apostles there with him. And even though kind of in the Bible, they seem sort of like the, the buffoons who are constantly misinterpreting everything he's saying. Um, they, <laughs> I'm sure that he had them around because they were his friends and he loved them and they comforted him to a certain extent. And, um, mm-hmm. and likewise, 
I find it a shame that people will remember that I was SA president and they might not remember all of the people on the SA council that year because they've all done such a terrific job. And I've met weekly mm-hmm. with all of them, as well as with the executives. In addition to that, Carson Gentry, Laura Waldron and Morgan Prophet were our three executives. And um, they, they became some of my really, really close friends during this last school year. And that was such a special, special mm-hmm. thing to be able to have. And with almost every decision, we would we would come together and we would talk about it. And I'd say, this is how I think it needs to go. Do you think that there's another way to look at it? And And that would be incredibly helpful because sometimes I wouldn't be looking at it the right way and they'd be able to point me in the right direction. Likewise, Laura and I got to work as such a team with managing how the essay council worked. Um, the, I don't know if this is kind of a too much Harding information or too much student association information, but the essay president kind of works outside the essay to represent the essay to the administration and to people outside the university. Whereas the vice president is kind of like the person in charge of all of the other reps within the student association. And so Laura and I got to work together where we would meet before all of our meetings with the rest of the essay. And Laura would say, hey, this is what Abby, our freshman representative, is doing. And this is what Luis Sauni, our our, um, international representative, is doing and what they're working on with their committees. Mm -hmm. And I've been managing them in this way. And that allows me to have so much more freedom to move and to do things outside the student association. And um, and that that amount of teamwork is just it's critical because if only Laura were existing to do only her job, then we would lose the outside part. And if only I were here to do the outside part, then all of the internal part that made us effective would go away. And and so teamwork right. is just absolutely huge. And also mentorship is is just gigantic. James Huff, Jill Davis, mm-hmm. and Logan Light, and Dean Neal and Dr. McClarty were all people who met with me frequently. And they were spiritual mentors as well as mentors on how decisions should be made and everything. And I feel like I was just constantly being poured into and learning from others. And mm-hmm. it's just... It's awesome. If you ever look at a single person in history who did something good, then I could just about guarantee you that they weren't the only person involved. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's that's just a good feeling that comes along with with being mentored and, and being a mentor too. just um, like I like that imagery of being poured into that that you mentioned because that is what it feels like that you find uh strength from other people and um in listening to them and, and having Amen. their guidance mm-hmm. um, um so you've mentioned kind of your mediator role that you had to play between two groups kind of the the administrative outside group of adults and then the the essay um how much did being a good listener help you with all of that? It's, it's huge. I don't know if being a good listener, I don't know if I'd call myself an amazing listener. I, I've definitely tried to get better at it, though, over the last year. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I'm still not perfect at it. But 
I think that it is incredibly important just for anybody who wants to be who wants to be involved in helping others. Um, Because I mean, listening means you're taking in what the other people are saying and how they feel. And a major thing that I've learned over this last year comes kind of from um, that seven habits of highly effective people book, which was our university's read this last year. Mm -hmm. And one of the, I think it might've been rule number five was seek first to to understand and then to be understood. You know, so often if, if I'm in a being understood mindset, I can have a meeting with somebody that I have a feeling I'm probably going to disagree with. And this person comes into my office or I go to meet them at midnight oil or something like that. And I'm already ready with my facts, my thoughts, all of this. And we start our conversation and immediately it, goes in the direction of I want him to understand me and why he's wrong and Mm -hmm. why I'm right. And likewise, he might have the exact same mentality. I'd be very blessed if he had this, had the seeking to understand mentality that would help. But, um, but what we have to realize is we have to take the responsibility to be the people that are seeking to understand. And something, since I'm a political science major, um, we are constantly looking at things that happen, decisions that have been made, you know, case studies and things like that, from both mm-hmm. on the state and local level, all the way up to the federal and international government and politics and all of these types of decisions. And, you know, I originally had thought that people who. They had no real rational reason to believe what they believed, but they were probably deceived or lied to or something, or they were just plain dumb and got to the wrong answer. And if they would just listen to my reasoning that made so much more sense, they would suddenly be enlightened and realize, oh, that Michael guy really knows a lot. I should just listen to him. And, <laughs> you know, that's really, that's not how it works. I've discovered that I think every, every ideology, every perspective has some sort of rational and realistic way to get there. Otherwise, nobody would believe it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I may disagree with atheism and, and say, well, I can definitely believe that there is evidence for a God and that there is a reason and a purpose to my life and my existence and things like that. And yet, you know, I can't just bash everybody who doesn't get to that same conclusion and say well they just must have skipped all of the evidence and suddenly just come up with their idea because everybody if there was if there were no good reason to believe in ideology or to believe any sort of belief then no one would believe it so once you know that you can go into those types of conversations where you're going to be meeting with somebody who potentially disagrees with you And if you say, okay, let me think through what got them, you kind of reverse engineer their, their belief. So they believe a, well, let me listen to what they're saying and try and figure out how they got there. And then once you figure that out, you might say, oh, well, you know what? It's a pretty direct straight shot from where they were standing to how they got to that decision. And, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And once you can repeat that back to them and say, 
hey, this is what I think that you're trying to say. Did I, did I hear you out correctly? And they say yes. And then you say, is this how you got to that? And they say yes. Then you've just opened yourself up for so many more productive conversations. Um, from there, you can say, well, you know, you've got a definitely good concern there. Um, because typically, once you start realizing, oh, they had a rational way to get there, you're going to respect that belief more. And you're going to realize, oh, there was a, you know, there was a good way to get to that, to that understanding of the facts. And maybe you're still going to disagree with it. And at that point, you can share with them the way that you got to your understanding of the issue. And hopefully they'll use the exact same tools that you just used for them. And, right. and then they'll understand you and you guys can move forward together from there. Mm -hmm. Um, but you might find that your perspective gets changed a little bit mm -hmm. and, and that's okay. But of course, like we said earlier, we don't want to be constantly evolving, be building our house on the sand and just, you know, let any tide change it. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I think that listening is one of the most important things we could do. And, yeah. and it's been so beneficial just trying to think with that mindset and everything from leadership stuff to just my friendships and my relationship with my fiance, Meredith. Um, mm -hmm. It just all goes better whenever you think about what are they really trying to say and how did they get to what they believe? Mm -hmm. Didn't that, that kind of happened um, in Peru when you were studying with the lawyer um, and she, uh, she was an atheist and but it turned out that it was really just she had kind of become disappointed in in god and his role in her life was something like that yeah that that was the most amazing thing that that woman's a great lady and um mm -hmm. and i i won't say her name here but she's um really really intelligent awesome person and it was so neat getting to to know her and just have that situation happen because I was out of my element for sure. Like that's <laughs> definitely a situation. If we were to talk about like resume things, Michael is certified to talk with this woman about religious beliefs. I was not there, especially <laughs> not in Spanish. And um, because she started hitting me with, well, I don't believe in God. And here's why it's, I was with this man for a long time and we were in love and we were together for 10 years. And then, you know what? I got cancer and it got really bad and he left yeah. and, and people told her that she had gotten cancer as a punishment from God for her sins. And so of course she wouldn't want to believe in God right. and the most, and I, here I am, I'm 18. I was 19 at that time. And my life was going great. I had no, not qualifications, but you know, the, the stuff that makes me re reliable to talk to her about that. Mm -hmm. And especially fumbling through Spanish, trying to do that. Right. And the most amazing and just God given thing was the fact that we had a Spanish woman with us on that trip, a Christian professor from Spain mm -hmm. who was with us and was able to say, 
I've had almost the exact same life circumstances. And everything that that first woman had said, this, this woman who was with us on the trip had also experienced. And she was able to say, I still believe that God exists and that God loves me and that he has a plan for me and that I have a purpose for my life. And, Mm -hmm. and it was just, it was phenomenal. I got to stand there on the sidelines and just take that in. And, and that was so neat because it was a thing where you got to listen to it and you got to see, you know, if I had lived the life that she had lived and had experienced the things she had experienced, maybe I would think the exact same things. Right. And yet here was a woman who had experienced some of the exact same things, but had come to a different conclusion. And, and that was just, that was such a special thing. And I believe those two women are still in contact and they still message occasionally. And she and I will message every once in a while, but not quite as frequently as the two of them do. Right. It was so, so special. That is such a powerful story just about empathy and, and understanding and listening that it blows my mind how providential that circumstance was. Amen. And if you like, I can't imagine, um, like if you had let fear of failure keep you from, from reaching out to her, um, that then that beautiful circumstance wouldn't have, have happened. So. Amen. Um, Amen. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, Michael, I, I want to thank you for for talking with me for a while. I really appreciated this conversation. You said a lot of good things. Well, thank you, Kaylee. Um, I, yeah. You have as well. This has been really fun. It has been fun. Um, is there anything else you'd like to um, say, just kind of in closing, um, some comments, maybe some loose threads that we haven't really tied up? Oh, man. That's tough. Um <laughs> Gosh, I'm just, I'm so grateful that you're doing this. I think this is such a special thing. And, and you're absolutely right. Whenever you were talking to me beforehand, just that there are so many outlets that we Christians can be using to just talk to people about good things. And, um, and that's, that's absolutely right. There are so many opportunities out there and we've just got to be active in them. And one thing that paralyzes me is that fear of failure. Like what you said, the the fear of not being perfect. And I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I've played the piano most of my life. And one of the things that I just hate the most is going into a piano recital, hoping that I don't make a mistake. And mm-hmm. that's not the way to be living. That's not the way to be doing things. <laughs> um, same thing with my job this last year with the student association. Every once in a while I could get into the, the fear of making a mistake or saying the wrong thing. And making myself look silly. Well, I made myself look silly constantly. And and that's totally okay. And one thing I think that we can do as Christians is we get afraid to put stuff out there about, about Jesus and about how he affects us and things in the form of social media or through podcasts or through face-to-face interactions with people like the woman that I met in Peru. And, mm-hmm. um, and what we've got to understand is we can't worry about whether or not we're going to be perfect, whether or not we're going to have the right words, especially if you're trying to speak your second language, you're not going to have the right words um, and the right vocabulary and the right speed and of talking and everything like that to be convincing on your own. And, 
And, you know, if you panic about posting on social media because you're afraid of posting something that will be not per- the perfect post or something like that, then all you're doing is you're just not posting and you're not reaching anybody. And that's something that I've struggled with over the last year or so is whenever I put something in writing, I want to make sure that it's the perfect thing. And, or if I'm going to record myself, I want to make sure I don't stutter or something like that. And well, Mm -hmm. I've said, um, a million times through this and, (laughs) and truthfully, that's okay because I'm a person, I'm not a robot. And, and that's just how things are. Um, Mm -hmm. there we go. I said it again, (laughs) but I, I am so grateful that people like you are stepping up and doing things like this and being brave whenever, you know, posting a podcast, if it does anything negative, it opens you up for for criticism and Mm -hmm. i don't know if there's going to be somebody out there but this is the world of the internet and of trolls and things like that where you can do something and somebody anonymous can post something really mean about what you said and and it takes courage to do stuff like that not stuff like Mm -hmm. saying mean things but to get up there and be public and open yourself up and so my prayer going forward for me and for everybody else is that we also follow your example and that we we are courageous in the way that we post and the way that we take our stances just in the public life and, and that we don't be ashamed. Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate that, especially coming from you. I'm, um, I've watched you overcome that, that fear of failure over the last couple of years and, and it has definitely separated you from others as a a leader a strong leader and um I'm really grateful that you I'm grateful for the way that you have impacted others because you chose to be selfless and um and overcome that fear well thank you thank you very much that means a lot to me Michael shared a lot of good things in our conversation, and I know that there is so much to unpack there, but I did want to read John 13, 3-5 together, since it was a passage that Michael mentioned. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. This is one of the most beautiful pictures of leadership in all of the Bible, and I'm very grateful to Michael for mentioning it. I am very grateful to Michael for recording with me. This has been another Christ-like conversation, and all glory goes to God.